I just like say nobody works for me. Everybody works with me because, you know, it's not just about me. It's about the whole team. It's the whole group. You know, you have to help each other, check each other out and uh, make sure we had a good product going out the door. Welcome to the seven figure flipping podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of wholesaling and house flipping businesses. The systems and automation that we discuss will help you build a real business instead of another job for yourself. From beginners to those doing hundreds of thousands a year, we go deep into the details and strategies that are working today. And now your host, Bill Allen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 7 Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen. And today I have someone very special to me that I want to bring on and introduce you guys on the podcast. And if you went to Flip Hacking Live, you saw this person. We've been doing this uh, series on the podcast about leadership and kind of core values and our journey and everything like that. And uh, last week I brought you Jocko Willink. We did an interview about leadership. Then we talked about, talked to my EOS coach, Dan Coleman. He came on and he talked about the EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system traction and all the things that we're doing in that side of our business in blackjack real estate and how that's helped us kind of move the needle. And then I showed Nate and my presentation on the last podcast from Flip Hacking Live. And we talked a little bit about the things that we did inside of our business to grow our business about the people, leading, finding and leading the right people. And so what I wanted to do today is if you're at Flip Hacking Live, if you were there and you saw my opening presentation, then you heard this person's story. You heard my story. You heard me tell you guys all about What's going on in like my journey in, into this real estate business, into the housing business through the military when I was a kid and kind of the person that molded my, my life and who I am and my, kind of my core values. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to bring him on to talk a little bit about that, about those core values and maybe learn a little bit, go even a little bit further and figure out where his came from and, and a, a little bit more of the story, kind of his side. I kind of was on stage telling my side of his story, which maybe I did it justice. Maybe I didn't. I'm not sure. We'll find out today. So I invited my dad. This is my dad on the podcast, Bill Allen and Bill Allen. He's not really Bill Allen senior, but you know, my dad, uh, the Bill Allen. I'm like the, the next one down. So I want to, first of all, dad, welcome to the podcast. I'm going to try to call you, uh, maybe I'll just call you dad. I'm not sure, but, um, welcome to the podcast. I know I just kind of reached out to you cold and said, Hey, you know that I run this podcast and I do all this stuff for this seven figure flipping group. And you were at flip hacking live for the first time seeing me speak. I told your story and, um, you talked to a lot of different people there. So you kind of came into this world for the first time and I don't know what you think about all this, but I wanted to have you on and I think it'll be cool. I think we can kind of talk and tell your story a little bit and maybe uh, some leadership lessons that you learned in the military and throughout your life that you've passed on to me. So even better than me talking on the podcast to them about leadership. So welcome, first of all, thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. I'm a little nervous and stuff, but I'm uh, no, no problem. Uh, happy to let you in on how I got through my journey and still on it actually. So, so. awesome. So don't, first of all, don't be nervous. It's just me and you talking, obviously, like we talked about. So, um, but what I, so let's start off kind of if, if these, if people weren't at flip hacking live and they didn't, they don't even know who you are, they kind of know they've been following the podcast. They kind of know my story a little bit, but why don't you just tell everybody a little bit about your background, maybe from like, uh, not, you know, kind of growing up a little bit and then, uh, the military and then your uh, your business and kind of what your background is. Okay, well, um, I come from a large family. Uh, I'm the oldest of six children. Um, 
Um, my mother's parents came from Croatia, uh, so she's a full Croatian. And my dad, uh, he was an engineer too, electrical engineer. He grew up in South Carolina and uh, he went in World War II, so he was in the Army as a lieutenant and the Supply Corps. Then uh, after the war, he got finished up his degree and then he got a job up in uh, Pennsylvania at Westinghouse, uh, Sharon, Pennsylvania. And uh, that's where he met my mom and they got married and that's where they started their, uh, their journey. But anyway, um, they had me first and then uh, I had my five brothers and sisters. But so I guess the goat growing up, my, my, uh, my father was an engineer. So I figured it must, everybody must be engineers. And then uh, maybe because he was in the military, maybe that's why I decided to get into the military uh, later on too. But you know, as I was growing up, uh, like I was in the Boy Scouts and, and that, and almost all my leaders were, had served in the, in World War II. So it was a different time back then. Although uh, I like to think that I also grew up in a very interesting time because I went to the high school in the 1960s and that's during the uh, Vietnam War. And you know, there was a lot of backlash and people didn't like that war. And you know, that was a time of the hippies and this and that. And, but, um, in spite of that, I went on to college and I, I ended up in the ROTC program after a few years at Georgia Tech. I went to Georgia Tech from high school and I, again, uh, I became an engineer mostly, I guess, because I was good at math and science. I liked doing it. And um, I, my dad was my example, I guess. And uh, so I pursued that path. But I really did like the idea of the Navy, and uh, I did like the idea of nuclear submarines. So that's what I signed up for. And um, so I finished my degree at, at Tech, and then I went into the active duty as an ensign in the Navy. Uh, went to nuclear power school in Bainbridge, Maryland, close to where I grew up in Baltimore. Then, uh, then we went up to uh, New York, up to Prototype for six months training, learning how to operate a regular reactor, and then sub-school, and then out to San Diego to meet my first ship, the USS Haddo, a fast attack sub out of San Diego. So I was there on that ship for about six years, and I made a couple of Westpacs, I got married, you were born in 1980 while we were there, and um, the uh, decided I wanted to have some kind of a family life, because back then these ships were uh, fighting the Cold War with the Soviet Union, and so there was an awful lot of sea time involved if you were in the Navy, and especially in the submarine service. So I decided to uh, leave active duty, and I went into uh, the reserves at that point. But anyway, after that, we went to Baltimore, back to Baltimore. I worked for Baltimore Gas and Electric for a little while at Calvert Cliffs Nuclear Plant. Uh, then um, I got my professional engineer's license, actually, while I was in the Navy. Um, and then I decided to be... Uh, a consulting engineer uh, working in construction. So we made the blueprints for buildings and things. So I worked for a while in Baltimore. Same time I was going to college again, master's degree at John Hopkins. Got my physics, applied physics degree there. And, uh, and they, a company out in California picked me up to work on the space station power system, Rockwell, Rocketdyne out in Canoga Park. So we moved back out to California because we liked Southern California from our time in the Navy. And you got to go to uh, elementary school there at, uh, in uh, Thousand Oaks we lived. So during that time, I was uh, working on the space station and it's a very interesting time. Uh, 
learned a lot. I was also in the Naval Reserve at that time, and I would do my active duties back in D.C. Uh, at uh, Na Naval Sea Systems Command. And that allowed the whole family to go back to Baltimore and see uh, the grandparents and uh, all that. So I got to go to work, but everybody else got a vacation. So for the two weeks that you did your um, Navy uh, active duty time in the reserves, you would actually take us back there to D.C.? I would take you back to Baltimore. You'd, you'd stay at uh, your grandmother's house in uh, Towson. Okay. I'd drive all the way down to D.C. for work every day. And then uh, you would visit with all your friends and all that stuff. So. Oh, cool. I didn't even remember that. So, okay. Yeah. So you did, so you, you did that. And then we moved to Maryland and <laughs> you, that's when you started your business, right? That's when I, uh, actually we moved back to Maryland. I was working on the Hubble space telescope, um, to at first. And then I decided I wanted to get into business for myself. So I went back into the consulting engineering field and that's a pretty much a professional services, uh, type, uh, service where you, uh, work with the developers, architects, uh, people that build buildings. And uh, what I did was I designed all the electrical systems that go into a building, the power systems, the lighting, the fire alarm, the sound systems, anything like that. And uh, we made the blueprints, and that was part of the set that would always go out for bid. Contractors would bid on it, and then the, the buildings would get constructed. You, the contractor, winning contractor, would use those drawings to construct the building. So uh, I started that. I was working for a couple other companies first, but then decided that I was going to go on my own. So I, I did that by myself. I found a, a good partner, Zach Sharif, uh, back in 1992, I guess. I was teaching some PE courses. I was an instructor. People were getting ready to take the test, and they would take these refresher courses. And as a side job, I learned needed some more money. I was teaching how to, how to you know, the get ready for the test. And Zach was one of my students and uh, he, he always needed a lot of extra attention, but he would come over to my house and we'd go over things. And he was a mechanical engineer. So uh, I was electrical engineer. So that's the perfect combination for our business, mechanical, electrical. And so I uh, eventually we decided to get together and uh, uh, form a company called Allen and Sharif Corporation. We incorporated in 1993. And uh, we grew the company. It still exists today. You can go to alanshreef.com, check it out. It's still, still a very uh, a good uh, design, build, construction uh, corporation. Lots of good people. We have office in Columbia where we started. We also have a Pittsburgh office, uh, Salisbury, Maryland office. And we also have an office out in Abu Dhabi where we do some project management uh, for the government uh, health, health authority out there. So. Um, that's uh, where I've gone. The company got up to around 200 people or so. We're probably down right now to about 125 or so, or maybe 150. I'm not sure. I'm sort of retired, so I, I'm out of the game a bit. I still own a lot of the company, uh, my half, uh, and I'm still on the hook for you know a lot of loans and uh, you know lines of credit and bonding and this and that. So. Uh, uh, yep, I know. Buys me out. I'm, I'm still. Uh, I know how that goes. Hard. I got some kind of personal guarantees out there and things like that for the company exactly. that, that runs for me. So, so okay. So, I, some people are probably listening to this, going, what, "What does this have anything to do with real estate?" Well, it has everything to do with real estate because what we're talking about on these podcasts and kind of what we do inside of our mastermind groups about building a business. I feel like real estate, the wholesaling and house flipping side of it, it that is the 
kind of the means to what we do. That's the widget. That's the thing. That's the, that's the outlet and avenue that your business runs off of. Right. So all of this stuff, like this is somebody who's run a company of 200 employees. And I didn't realize it was that big actually, as we were kind of growing up, I didn't really get involved in the business. I didn't ask a lot of questions. I, I, there were times where in like middle school, I would be the secretary during uh, summers and stuff to try to make some money when the secretary was out for a week and, and I'd run drawings. I remember smelling that ammonia from the blueprints that I was running in those machines. Just, uh, I don't know, just trying yeah, to earn back in the day. We had those ammonia machines for making blueprints. Nowadays it's all just black and white and Xerox machines pretty much. You know? Yeah. So I was there trying to make some money, but I didn't understand the, the inner workings of it. I just knew my dad had this company and I knew that you were working really hard. So what, I guess let's start with this. Let's start with kind of the, when you started the business with Zach, we have a lot of people that listen to this that are saying, should I partner up with somebody? Should I do it on my own? Um, you know, I get that question all the time. Like, Bill, you don't have a partner. Should I take on a partner or not? Like, why did you choose that route at that time? And, and did you start doing it by yourself and then realize that you would need somebody else for help? Or why did you have a partner? Cause you guys were like 50, 50. Basically. Yeah. The, uh, I started by myself. Um, but, um, being all, being only in the electrical discipline, uh, I would always need to partner up because on all these construction projects, there's a lot of people involved. There's the architect, usually the lead. Then there was a structural guy. Then there's a mechanical guy, then electrical guy. So, um, usually the mechanical and electrical is one company. So I was, uh, always on the lookout for, uh, a, a mechanical engineer either to hire so that my company could offer both of the services or to find a partner and uh, we could be 50-50. So I found Zach and um, actually he is probably the best uh, partner I could have ever gotten uh, and it was just purely by luck really because we complemented each other. Um, I was more of an organizer and a get things done type of person and Zach was much more of a uh, go out and get the business guy, kind of guy. He's the one that wants to go out and meet people, play golf. Uh, but at the same time, he could get the work done too. So he, he knew what he was talking about and he could sell the job. So I always told people, Zach would sell the job and Bill and the guys would get it done. And, and then we get it done right on time and then they keep coming back. So we always were trying to look for repeat business. So once you can make a name for yourself and you get a good reputation going, that's what we, it was really all about in, in getting started because you're, you know, you got to, people are taking a chance on you in the beginning because you, you're not a known quantity and you're up against other corp companies that provide these very same services and they, you know, they know them, but you know, everybody makes a mistake once in a while. So they get mad and they give other guys a chance and they, sometimes they give us a chance. Yeah. So sorry so about that is sometimes I would, we would, stumble a little bit. I said, don't worry, they'll try somebody else and they'll be back. So, so we, we, uh, we, we uh, uh, had good, good success and we still do have good success and a lot of loyal clients. So with, with that, you said that you could have hired Zach. So why didn't you just hire him? You probably could have hired him at that time. So like what, what about it was in your mind, the partnership thing, like what pushed well, you there? I think Zach probably, I probably couldn't have hired him because he was the yeah. kind of a guy that is really more of a leadership kind of a guy. You, you, you'll know whether the person that you're working with is going to be uh, a leader and, a, and a take charge kind of a guy, or is he going to be a follower and uh, uh, 
a staff kind of a guy. There's there's um, there's a lot of uh, you know you just know by their personalities. I think uh, at least that's the way it worked out for me. And you were okay splitting the company in half and not having to be in charge of everything. And so he brought, he must've brought something that you felt like you probably weren't as good at. Well, he brought his mechanical expertise and his professional engineer's license. And I brought my electrical expertise and my electrical engineering license. And so we formed the company. Um, I have to say that we did take advantage uh, at one time of Zach's minority status because he is born in Pakistan. So for a time, he had like one share more than me of the stock and we were a minority company uh, that we could get some additional contracts for. And uh, so we, we worked that out for uh, many years, but you, you graduate out of that after about eight years. Yep. See, so yeah, I remember that helping you early on in the uh, in your journey, uh, being able to win some of those jobs and some of the bids and stuff like that. So, so I think a lot of people that listen that are listening, they are in that situation where maybe they're a really good salesperson, but they're not really good with the the detailed side of the marketing and the key performance indicators and tracking all the metrics and the books. I feel like the salespeople are really good at, like you said, like Zach was doing, he's out playing golf, uh, socializing. Well, he's, make, he's making contact with the clients. It's not about the golf really. Oh it's yeah, really no, I know. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm not, I'm it's not trying to say that Zach was playing golf all day, but we have yeah. these people who are really good at, at bringing in business, right? They're That's really it. good That's networkers. You got to get that business in the door. Yep. And once it's in the door, somebody has got to get it done and it's got to get done right. So that's uh, how exactly. It and, and it's the same thing in our business. We, I find that we have these real estate, real estate, uh, like the salespeople owners who are really good at getting the contracts, but then they're, all they, all they're doing is going out looking for the next business. They're not thinking about the back end with the, what are the, are the, what do the books look like? Is there equity in the company? Are we making money? All they're doing is just churning through contracts and making sales and, and all the paperwork is kind of left on the side. So th what they, they would be really good matching up with somebody else. Now, if I had two people that were like that in a partnership together, it's not a great, it's not probably not a great partnership. So yeah, that if you get two of the same people, you need a yin and a yang is what you need. And uh, Zach and I are a perfect yin and yang people uh, because we really complement each other uh, without a doubt. And like I say, I was lucky to find him, and uh, and he probably feels lucky to find me to be honest with yep. you. And because and we've remained good friends over time. Because a lot of times these relationships do go south when you join up with a partner. And I would if. I would always recommend too, if you do end up with a partner, make sure that you think of all the good stuff that's going to happen, but also think of the bad stuff that's going to happen and how you're going to dissolve it. If something does go down, downhill, how do you get out of it? How do you separate and, uh, and make it, uh, less painful or so to say, because I can tell you, me and Zach have had our differences and, I tell you, I always tell the people, I look down the hole and I said, I don't want to go down there. So we find a way to work through these things and come to agreement and, and we move on. So uh, it's, uh, it's, it's an important thing to do is to find a, a, a good partner or to have the right people working for you. If you're the guy that's in charge and you don't have a partner, I think you can, you can not easily, but you can definitely make it by having the right people working with you. So uh you just find the right skill sets, find what you what you need, and find the metrics that you know how to, uh, you know, find. I think you had some of these things in your uh, at the 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 lot the, the foot packing live foot packing live, uh, where you know 
the house, you know, how to get the right people in there and stuff. So, right. So. We talked about the who, not the how. So Dan Sullivan talks about the who, not the how, like finding the people who already know how to do this stuff. Exactly. And for you, that was Zach in some of those areas. And exactly. for Zach, it was you in those other areas exactly. and you guys combining forces. The, the thing, exactly. a lot of times I remember Mike Simmons told me, uh, I said, Mike, why, why'd you, why'd you partner up? You know, why, why did you bring in a partner? You're already doing it on your own. And he said, he said, look, if Bill, if, if one plus one equals two, it's not a good fit. Like one plus one has to equal like five or 10, like together you have to be stronger than the separate exactly. parts. And if you can do that and bring those people in, then you're going to, it's, it's going to be a really good formation between the two of you because you got to bring in that other side that maybe sees things a little bit differently. And I'm always a little bit jealous of people with partners to be perfectly honest, because I, all the weight is on my shoulders as the sole entrepreneur in this, in this business, you know, as I, it was just me, I was the one making the decisions. I was the one that I, I couldn't, I never actually had somebody who would play the other side of it. It was me making the decisions. I'd have to live with it. But personally, I know that that's where I want to be the kind of person that I am and the way that I want to do things. And now bringing in the COO, now I have that person. And so me joining the mastermind group four and a half years ago or so, that was the best thing for me because I basically looked at all of these other owners of their company that now I almost had a bunch of partners. I had this board of directors, these people around me, these other CEOs that I could bounce ideas off of and say, Hey, what do you guys think about this idea that I have? And they would give me their feedback almost like a partner would it without, you know, just giving me what, what I needed. I had a question. I'm trying to make this decision or I am struggling to make this decision. A lot of times those partners, you guys are bouncing ideas back and forth and one has an idea. The other one kind of says, well, what about this? And you can kind of work together to come up with that stuff where mm -hmm. I never really had that uh, myself. And now with my COO, it's fantastic because we have this visionary integrator relationship, the CEO COO relationship where we can bounce ideas off of each other. And Our business took a big uh, rise too after we hired, uh, we took the leap and it was expensive for us to hire a, our, our CPA, our CFO actually. And she became actually our COO also. So um, she took over the financial side and got us with the banks and uh, our loans all straightened out. And, uh, and <laughs> that's uh, all right. The, uh, we had, uh, it, once she came on board, it really made a difference and the company took off because again, it freed Zach up to go out and get more business. It freed me up to get the jobs done, get the people trained up because, you know, I had to hire engineers. We'd have to show them the way that we want to do things. You'd have to, you know, there's certain procedures you want to follow. And then again, there's the things are important, like writing the right proposal and the key performance indicators. You don't want to underbid things. You want to get the right price uh, out there. Because, you know, everything we did was pretty much fixed price. So you put a number out and you got to live with that number until the end of the job. So you want to. I wish sure. I wish our contractors actually did that. So, yeah, they'll put a fixed bid price out there and go, ah, you know, we saw all these other things that went wrong. So we're actually going to have to change the price. So there's probably a lot yeah, of people. No change laughing. orders. No, no change yeah. orders. Not allowed. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to find a contractor that uh, has the integrity that you do in your yes, business. Uh, we always would stand by our jobs. Yeah. Yeah. So I totally agree with that. I think it, like the, what we're talking about right now, this series that we're doing is about leadership. It's about team building. It's about all that's kind of core values and finding those right people. That's it, right? That's the number one thing in business. You get to, you have four employees or you have 200 employees. Uh, it, that's what it is. So you and Zach kind of came together, started building this co company out and 
And then you, you brought in the CFO who eventually became the COO. And just like you said, I think it's, it's very important that we highlight this is allowed you guys to do the things that you're really good at and, and go do the things that you should be doing that you can focus on. Cause that's exactly what happened for us. Nate came in, allowed, freed me up with a lot of things that I could do that I wasn't able to get to because I was doing, I was putting out all the little fires that needed to be put out. And I wasn't able to manage all of these people. I had so many people reporting directly to me. And I remember when I called you and I, I, right when I was starting the business, I said, how many people can you manage yourself? Do you remember that phone call that we had? Sure. And, and you, you told me, you gave me an answer. You told me everything. So, so what do you think? Like how many people, and I had this question in our, in our high level, our seven figure club mastermind group, the people who are making multiple million dollars in profit per year. This guy said, I am running around like a chicken with my head cut off. I cannot get anything done. I'm still at the office at 845 at night and everybody else is gone. He said, he said, what's going on? Like, I, I just, I don't know what I need. I'm, I feel like I'm just constantly going and going. We're doing more, but I have more work. So how many, and my question to him, just so you know, was how many direct reports do you have? That's it. That was my question. You need to give me that answer before I can give you, because I think I know what the answer is. And, and I was right. So how many people can you manage effectively? Do you think like, what does that look like? What should somebody be thinking about that owns a business like this? Well, I, I always uh, had the impression in, in my business, in this uh, consulting engineering business, the professional engineering business, that the ideal size was about 12. Okay. You could, you, if you had 12 people under you, you would be in a good shape. You would know what everybody's doing and uh, where you're at. So I always tried to put people, put the departments about that size, 12 people. And, um, and sometimes when we started a new office, that would be the maximum size that we were looking for because the, the head of the office at that size would know all the clients. He would know uh, what all his people are doing and kind of the status of all his jobs. Because one of the things that we did when we were, were expanding is we, we, we had um, the home office took care of like all the, the taxes and the billing and the this and that and the 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 the, uh, the satellite offices were able to just concentrate on the business, get the business, and get it done, and so the CFO type of operations and the HR stuff was all taken care of at the home office, and and like I said, so my my answer is kind of going around is max is like twelve. And this is even like in the, in the service, when I was in the service, uh, you have your uh, department head, I was on a submarine. Uh, the department head had like, I don't know, maybe six divisions, maybe, maybe more. Yep. I don't know. And then in the, each division, there was like 10, 10 guys maybe, you know, so, and that's kind of how it always broke up. We used to have an admiral, he used to, uh, in the engineering duty officer thing, he always would go back to the hunter-gatherers, and he said the hunter-gatherer groups were like groups of 12 people that could go out and would be able to hunt effectively, you know, and get the game or whatever and gather up the, the crops and things like that. So um, that's kind of where I found that you were successful. I find that people that have more than that, it ends up you don't know what's going on. You get lost. You know, how many things can you keep track of? One guy of a big office of 50, 100 people, he can't keep track of that at all. He has to push it down to smaller groups. And then the head of the groups have to report to him so that he can handle it. So, 
Yeah, I'll give you my answer because I think mine's going to be a little bit different. So when you and I were talking, I was like, okay, great. Um, that, that sounds good. As I got into this business, what I found is we're constantly growing. We are a growth operation. And when you're a growth operation, that manager, that person, like the owner, the CEO, whoever it is, even the manager, you have all these extra tasks that you're constantly going out. Now, if, I think if we were stable and I was operating, this would be something that I could handle. So I think the answer for me in the real estate business is about five or six. That's where I want to be. I want to be there because it's almost like a small, like I think we talked about it with, with Jocko and Jocko was like, that's, yeah, it's like what the SEAL teams are. We're very small, like five or six man teams that go out on this patrol in, in the, like the ground warfare, the combat zone. So you can actually be like right next to that person because stuff always blows up all the time. And when you, if, if I had to manage 12 people to figure out where they all were when stuff was blowing up in front of me, because the real estate business, I feel like we're just constantly creating problems and we're working with unstable sellers. There's all this stuff that's going on. It's constant explosion. So the smaller, the kind of rifle team that he talked about, or the smaller team that I have, like right now in this company in seven figure flipping, I have about nine direct reports and I am drowning. I'm, I, I have way too many. Uh, so right now we're building out the accountability chart to figure out how I can get somebody uh, to manage three people. So those three people talk to that one person, that one person talks to me. And I only have about four or five direct reports because I think for me in this business, I feel like it's because we're always growing. We're in this huge growth cycle. We're doing 100% growth year over year. And we're also... We also don't have accountability, so we're trying to build that in too. And we have all of these things blowing up on a regular basis. So like the, the touch points, there's just so much communication that funnels back and forth where I think that that's the problem. When you have 12 lines of communication and those people are all talking to each other and talking to you, it gets immensely complex. It's exponential. And so for me, that's where I think that we should be in the real estate business. So it's, it's cool to see different industries, very different um, kind of structure. But for me, I like that as we get bigger, if we got to like 200 people or 300 people, like you're talking about 500, then I agree. You're probably going to have like a, a broker that manages the 12 real estate agents. You're going to have a general contractor that manages 12 subcontractors or something like that. I think it's doable, especially when you're in one place. And like you said, you have the the mother company managing all the other admin and stuff like that, because there's a lot of other people that are involved in that stuff. So, um, okay. Well, even, so with, even in my business with the 12, it's, uh, it was more like half of them were lower level people, maybe CAD people that were doing the drawings. So you really were only dealing with the six engineers. So that, it would really match up with what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. And the CEOs, like in the military, those department heads, you got like six departments. You might have, uh, it's around there, you know, six department heads. And then those department heads, they, they have a chief and maybe a, uh, so they have like a senior chief and they might have a first class. And then that LPO is in charge of like the five or six other guys. So even that department head is got a division officer. He's got like a three or four division officers and chiefs and they each have like, you know, five or six enlisted guys. So it really comes down. And when you, when you look at it as it funnels down, there are different layers of accountability, like the leading, the management, the accountability of all those people in, in, in traction, they call it LMA lead, manage and hold accountable. And that's the kind of structure that, I, that we try to put into place. And I modeled it after the military, just like you talked about. I modeled my entire company yeah, we, we after the thing, military. Try to do that. Yeah. So with like me as the CEO, Nate as the XO, all, all my mid-level managers as kind of the department heads, and then all their people having division officers and kind of troops and soldiers. And it's just all I know. So that structure seems to work really well. And in talk, like when I interviewed Jocko, same thing. He's like, yeah, we, 
we kind of move down. We have smaller teams, smaller groups, because we can be in better contact with each other. We know what's going on 100%. We, can, we don't even really have to say anything. We can just look over there, see where they are, know that they're in the right position to be safe. So really cool stuff. And I think it, I think it marries well to business in what we do. And so, okay, so we talked about kind of my core values at Flip Hacking Live. So uh, kind of ownership, not blaming anyone. And I, I used a lot of examples from my life that I saw in you. So as for anybody listening, mine's extreme ownership, it's stewardship, it's hardworking, it's integrity, it's personal professional development. And I think, you know, as I was writing down my three people, you know, and thinking about who all those people were in my life that have molded me to who I am, um, you were the, uh, the easy one. Like the first is so easy to write your name down because all, every single one of those was exuded in you. And my other two, one of my other ones was this commanding officer of mine in the, in the military. I think you've met him, Greg Sheehan. So I actually sent him an email saying, uh, hey, I want to have you on the podcast. So I hope that he comes on and we can talk about leadership and this and things. And then Andy McFarlane was the other one who was very recent in my, in my mind and everything that had been happening, my real estate mentor, uh, who you met in person at oh, Flip Hacking Live. Yeah. And so those three guys, like, but who have been kind of, the people that have like, who did you write down at the event? So I'm interested to hear that first. Well, you know, what I wrote down was um, when I was growing up, um, I was in the scouts. So I, I wrote down just my scout leaders because, you know, uh, I always liked the scouts, you know, the, the, the scout law, the trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. See, I still know them at 67 years old as a, you know, as a, I look at them, you know, every week just to you know, keep, remind myself. But uh, those kind of things. I also, um, I played some sports and I, I wrote down some of the uh, coaches that I had because uh, they uh, encouraged me to, I, I think it was more like, I just loved the organization. Like we, we played football and stuff in the plays and everybody had a job and, you know, you, you go here, you go there. I, you know, I, I still don't even remember some of the numbers, you know, the four o run around and have all the holes and the different backs would do that. And I was the blocking back. So I had to go lead the way and hit guy. Anyway, the, uh, so I had that. And then, um, I, I put down my dad and, um, and that, and, uh, because he was, uh, a very, um, he was very intelligent and very understanding, you know, cause I, as when I was growing up, I did make, you know, mistakes. But he also was very, he let me do things, you know. Um, believe it or not, when in 1969, uh, he actually drove me and my friend up to uh, the Appalachian Trail at uh, Vermont, Massachusetts line and let us go. We walked for 600 miles in six, seven weeks, one summer, the summer of 1969, all the way up to Mount Katahdin. Me and this other kid in high school, seniors, we were, actually we're juniors, between our junior and senior year. And then we hitchhiked all the way back from Mount Katahdin in Maine, back to Baltimore. I mean, you know, what kind of parents would let you do that now, you know? Was, uh, uh, today, none. Not no, a single yeah. parent. Nobody would. Yeah, not today. No, it's not done. But, I mean, you know, he had enough faith in me and enough confidence that uh, I was going to do okay or do the right thing. So, um, uh, so definitely. Um, so let's, let's talk about that for a second. So uh, I think that's important relationship to business too. We have a lot of people that work for us and you've got to be willing to let them make a mistake Oh yeah, and, and be, be okay if they make that mistake um, and give them the kind of scope and the, the rope to, 
to, to do that, even, even newer people. So a lot of times what, what I found as I was managing people and leading people from the beginning of this journey is I would, I would have a tendency to look over their shoulder or try to micromanage them or something. But I really made it a point of, of mine to let them make those mistakes or give them enough scope to go out there and be confident in making those decisions. Otherwise, they're going to come to me every time they have a decision that they have to make. Exactly right. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Yeah. No, yeah. Because I've had both types of commanding officers, you know, one that let the, you lead or and make mistakes and the others that micromanage. And then the division officer turns into the chief and the chief turns into the LPO and, and you know, on down the line, it's just, it's, it's not good. And you can't really do all the work yourself. So you have to have faith in your, uh, your, the people that work with you and let them, go their own way. And, and I always like to tell people is there's a lot of ways to skin the cat, you know, just the way I do it is not necessarily the only right way to do things. So in, in our business and uh, in the engineering business, you know, I solve problems a certain way and other guys solve another way that are equally correct, you know, and we could argue the merits of each one, but you know what, in the long run, each is okay. And, you know, I learned to let it go and not have to, change it to my way. You know, you don't do that because you, 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 you're not taking advantage of that other brain that you hired, you know, because you want to, you, you have that other intelligence that you want to use on the job and let them do it. So. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I never really thought of it that way. You've, you're paying money to have this person work for you and you're making the decisions for them. Like, no. why are you doing that? You want to develop this leader. You want them to grow inside the organization. You want to l let them flourish in there and, and grow and be become, you know, an extension of obviously their own person, but an extension of you effectively to be able to, re to replace yourself in the organization in different ways. Well, the other thing I always told the engineers that worked with me, I said, look, someday you're probably going to open up your own firm. And you're going to be my competitor, but I'm still going to teach you the right way to do it. And you, you decide for yourself, you want to stick with me or you want to do it on your own. That's okay. So that's, that's what a lot of people fear in this business, right? They bring somebody in, you teach them exactly what you're doing. You show them behind the curtain and then they go out and, and do it on their own. So, well, then uh, you have to have faith in yourself that you can do it just as well as anybody else. So, you know, I don't for me, it's better. Like, I, go ahead. Like, I, so for me, I, you know, uh, people came up to me at Flip Hacking Live. I put my team on stage. You know, Chad was on there, Val, Heather, uh, Ashley, Nate, all of them. And they just said, well, why don't you guys, I, they all came up to me afterwards and said, why don't you guys just go do this on your own? Like, and Nate said, the number one question that people ask him is, why don't you just go do this yourself? And he just, he, his answer was, and I don't want to answer for him, but it was just, look, I can get further. We can get further together. Like doing this, I know that I plugged into something that's already operating. Chad said it from stage and, and we did, we, you know, we put his presentation here on the podcast, but he's plugging into a wheel that's already rolling down the hill at a very high speed. And he knows that we can go further and faster and bigger together than doing it on his own. And I'm, I've had people that that want to go do something on their own after they've worked with me. And that's fine. Like I, I want to develop those. I encourage it too. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm not going to say, Hey, go start up shop right in my own yeah. area. I will crush you. Like I will yeah. be better. I will do more. I will, we right. will, we will become competition. And, um, but I'll tell you the, the side of things for me is just seeing those, seeing those people start from a, a place of not wanting to be an entrepreneur and finding that inside of themselves. Like I felt like, I, I had this, some, obviously, you know, you had it, 
you passed it on to me. I didn't even know that I was an entrepreneur and wanted to build a business and do these things until I started doing it. Now it's so addictive that I can never go work for somebody else again. I mean, I, I don't know that I ever. Yeah, you all, once you work for yourself, you, you know, it, once you work independently, you still like to, uh, you're, you're always going to like it. Yeah. So, so. And, and I think we have to be as leaders and owners of these businesses, we have to be secure enough to be okay bringing these top talent, these A players into our business, showing them what we're doing. And then if they do decide to leave, the, the thing is, I think we have to treat them well enough that they don't. Like, how do we figure out how to keep them? And then I'm not forcing them to stay. If they want to go, they're going to go. But, no. and I'm also confident enough that I can find somebody else to come into my operation and do really well in there. Uh, you want to make, I always say, I want, I want to make sure you guys have good, interesting work and that you find it, you know, and you have the right benefits and the, the right tools that you need, everything so that you want to stay here and work with us to make a good company. Because I, I used to like say that nobody works for me. Everybody works with me because you know uh, it's, it's, it's not just about me. It's about the whole team. It's the whole group, you know, and uh, together because you know, if one guy makes a mistake and doesn't get caught, you know, the whole team suffers, you know, you have to help each other, check each other out. And, uh, and uh, that's what we, that's kind of a lot of the procedures that we also did for ourselves is make sure that we did help each other and uh, make sure we had, uh, a good product going out the door. And I, I stole that from you. I always say that to my team. I, 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 occasionally I catch myself, but I don't feel like they work, they work for me. Um, we work together. We're, we're a team. We're a high performing team. That's what I think about in my head. And I always say like, if somebody's like, you're, you're the, you're the boss or you're my boss or I, I actually don't like that. I kind of like, try, I, I, it doesn't sound right to me. Like I'm the owner of the business. I'm the, I'm the visionary. I'm whatever you want to call it other than your, their boss. So, um, for, for those guys, you know, my team, it's, I want, you guys are part of the team. You guys work with me. We all work together. We're all you know, kind of driving the ship in one direction. Yeah. Cause I always said, I always, even though you're in charge of the whole company, you really got a lot of bosses because all your clients are your boss and all your employees are, you got to work with all these people. So you, you really, you're, you're, you're just got a lot of responsibility that you picked up. Not really, uh, uh, you know, boss. Yeah. And for us, it's a lot of our lenders. It's a lot of our partners. It's all yeah. the people we work with. It's our buyers. It's our sellers. Yeah. It's all these exactly. Yes. Exactly. So I want to see you succeed too, by the way. I mean, when you're working for an architect or a, you're working for one of your clients, they want to see you do well. They don't want you to, to fail. So um, they want you to do a good job and uh, they're, and they're willing to pay a, you know, a good fee on it. So yep. whatever is fair. And I think it goes back to that, you know, the underlying theme at Flip Hacking Live, I think that people took from it is it's about the people, right? It's about, it's about your staff. It's about all the people you work with. And I can hear it in your voice and what you talk about when you talk about the work that you guys do and the product that you put out, you, you're super, you're really proud of it. And you know that you're going to hold your staff accountable to be proud of it and put out a good product. And you, when you were talking about the pricing, you, you're bidding a job, you're keep holding them to that and you're, you're keeping it fixed, even though you got to the point where you're like, crap, we screwed this up. You might lose money. We, we, we lost do it money right. on several jobs, but you yeah. know, you, you, hopefully you make it up on the other ones. So you, yeah. And they come back. I mean, I, I told a story of Flip Hacking Live where I, I lost $70,000 on a house that we flipped. It was on HGTV. It was, uh, it seemed to be a gold mine. Right. And I had a lender, a lender on that, on that project made $40,000. We lost $70,000. My lender made $40,000. I'll tell you what I didn't do. 
I didn't call him up and say, Hey, can I just give you your principal back and not pay your $40,000 in interest because we're losing money over here. And then we would have only lost $30,000. Well, that would have ruined my reputation. It would have ruined my relationship with that lender. It would have caused a lot of problems. And I'm not going to do that. We lost $70,000. It was a lesson learned. There are a lot of things that we did wrong that we should have done right. And we, we paid to not make that mistake again. And it was me making a mistake in my business and, and my team making mistakes and all the things that we did and lessons learned that we won't make again. Now, if I go make that mistake over and over and over again, I should not be a business owner. I will be out of business. I won't be a business owner. I'll be looking for a job from somebody else. So, so I think those kind of those, those core values, those things that what I hear a lot of in kind of your dad and in talking with like I growing up with you, I know it's about just, it's you got, you are so much more patient than me. So I remember growing up, like the, what you're talking about, your dad was very patient with you. He's very open. He's letting you make mistakes. I, I, I don't know if it's the time right now and like the season we're in with, uh, parents right now, like these helicopter parents and the kids and, and, and what society, what's going on with where we have all these things, much more connected. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like a lot of that is, is causing a problem. So what I have to struggle with, what I have to work on is really like giving, letting my kids go make mistakes, letting them fall down. I mean, Walter talked about like kids starting to walk for the first time and they fall down. You're not like running, like they have to fall down to get back up and then they're riding their bikes. They're going to fall. So you like, really realizing that I have to give my, my kids the scope to go out and hurt themselves and make mistakes. Like Lucas, our son, baby just broke his leg. He's, he's not even two years old. He's in a cast right now, all the way up to his diaper from his toes to his diaper. And I'm, I mean, it's, it's part of life. It's part of growing up. I don't want to see my kids cry and things like that, but I, I feel like, okay, well maybe we shouldn't have him outside. Maybe he shouldn't be that close to James. So James can push him over on the concrete it's life. It's going to happen. It's like, I just got to figure out sometimes take a deep breath, relax and let, especially with Will, my five-year-old, my oldest, I'm kind of like all up in his business all the time, just making sure he's not making mistakes and doing things, helping him with his homework the other night. I'm like erasing it. Like, whoa, no, this, we didn't make this look a little better. So I've really got to channel that because I think you did a really good job of it. I think it sounds like your dad did a really good job of it, of not like letting us find our way and find our journey. And I think all of us, that's it, even relating that to business too. I, ha I do the same thing with my staff. I almost give my staff more rope than my family um, for some reason. And it's, I think it's, it's a little bit of that like perfectionist, you want to like high driving personality that I have that I really have to figure out how to tone down a little bit. What do you think, like, what was it when, when, when I was growing up as a kid that allowed you to do that kind of like, just say, Hey, he's going to go out and he's going to make mistakes. Like I, I told a story about how I got in tr some trouble for some drinking underage when I was a kid and you had to come pick me up. So like, what was it? And, and then after that, I made that same mistake again. And you would still kind of let me give me the scope and let me go out and make those mistakes again. Oh, I don't know. Maybe because I made those same mistakes. <laughs> so I just didn't get caught. So I don't know. The, uh, um, the, I guess I had faith in you because I knew you, right? I, I know you, I knew what you were about and I, I knew how you operate and I had faith in you. So it's, uh, yeah, I knew you were intelligent. I knew that you could think things through. Um, you know, we've been through years together and, um, you know, so, and I always felt like, um, 
treated the kids with, you know, their independence, realizing that they're, they're their own human beings, you know, and you have to, uh, you know, respect that and um, let them become who they want to be or who they're destined to be. I don't even know which way it goes, but um, you, you ended up the way you are. It's not so much from me because it's because of you. It's, it's who you are. It's, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to get you. So, uh, so that's how that works. So that's, well, I appreciate that. I'm, uh, I think, you know, it's, it's very obvious when you, if you, if you sat down grandpa, you and me together, mm-hmm. that people would know, not just by the way we look, but by the way we act, by the way we treat people, by the way that people feel when they're True. around us, that we had grown up together and had been an influence on each other. And my goal, like I said, at Flip Packing Live was that my kids can look at me and say the same thing that I said about you. And they really look at me like a role model and things like that. And sometimes I feel like I try too hard to get there. So I think a lot of us, and with, with the company too. So we're always trying, like we want the best for everybody that we come in contact with. Mm-hmm. And so when I, it, I'll go back to the conversation that I had with Jocko, which I think is really powerful. It's the, that dichotomy. You could go too far in either direction. You can give those kids too much scope to go do whatever they want, or you can be way too strict and be right up on them all the time. And so it's somewhere in the middle for everything yeah. that we do. Yeah, we've got to straighten you out a few times. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. I thought you guys were really strict. I thought you I remember growing well, up, I thought I was super strict. Really strict. But, you know, we were- I wasn't allowed to sleep over any kids' houses until I, I don't know how old I was. I was probably like 13 or 14. All my yeah, friends were going to that. knew the parents. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. There's... Yeah. There's some good rules out there. So, um, I, and then I remember my brother getting more scope than me, but I think everybody thinks that way too. So, uh, but I broke all the rules so that he could come back and, uh, you guys were already beaten down a little bit, I think after we also tried to do that with our clients. I always told our engineers, I said, make sure you think that this project is like you own it. This is your, this is your house. This is your building. How are you going to want it? Make it that way for this, with our client, you know, think of it as your own. So. Well, I think that's a powerful message for even our business too. Thing, you know, you know, treat others the way you want to be. You know. Yep, that's it. I mean, that that is it. If you treat other people the way that you want to be treated, you and I, that's that's what I re- I remember that all the time going through my mind as I was growing up, and now even is just you saying that over and over and over again to me. So. Um, Okay. Well, we told, uh, you know, we don't have, uh, we, I could be on here for another hour, two hours. We can talk about the military. We can talk about a lot of your background and leadership and all of those things. But I think we, I think we got some really good stuff here about just kind of building a business, what it looks like, what kind of person it takes to do something like that. Some of the lessons learned. And I mean, I'm taking some, I'm taking some notes over here about, um, with my kids. And, and that's, that's the cool part about doing this podcast is I get, I get input from lots of different people to sh- kind of shape the way that, that I do things, the way that I think it, I, I want to take a couple pieces from what everybody is teaching me and, and, and giving me on their, their journey and what they went through. So um, I, think, I think the biggest thing for me, like you said, for, at least for my kids, is just to let them be themselves. Like let them, let, let them grow into the person that they're going to be with a little bit of my, with my influence, but not control that or try to control it or try to force it. Uh, Oh, I know it's, you're right. It's human nature, but I, yeah, I I love it. You're right. We can't control it. And uh, sometimes we just have to let them, let them go. And the same thing for our employees or staff, you know, give them the guidance, give them the process, the procedures, the systems, let them go, let them go do what they're going to do and really kind of build them up 
you know, reward them when they do a great job and give them some feedback when, and some constructive criticism when they need to make a change. That's an and, idea. That's the thing. Yeah. Let them know when show them, you know, I think Jocko had that, uh, that when he, uh, doing that, um, debrief, uh, at the packing live, you know, he was talking about how one good officer went through and blamed everybody and the other guy, you know, he took responsibility for it. And then everybody else kind of stepped up and said, okay, no, you know what? You're right. We did this. We did that, you know, and, uh, Yep. He's got a great, he's got a great story in his book where he, he was the one who, he was the guy who, you know, somebody else made the mistake out on a mission. And he said, no, it's not you, it's me. And everybody said, no, it's me. And ever somebody else said, no, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me. And every single person is saying, Hey, I'm taking ownership of this. And that's the way it happens in a good company with good people. And, and same thing, like Walter said, we're a, a training and development organization masquerading as a family. So a good family is the same thing. A family saying, no, I, I screwed up. No, no, I screwed up. I should have done this. And that's exactly what you want. Those are the kind of people you want to be around and all of that stuff. And that's why we added that extreme ownership into our core values and mine, because that's it. Like I'm not pointing my finger out. I'm pointing it in all the time. So what did I do wrong? How can I fix it? Yeah. I wish that I thought that way when I was like 15 or 16, you guys wouldn't have had so much problem with me around that time. So uh, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got you're a bad normal. memory. You're normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're in your 60s. You don't remember that stuff anymore. It's like me now going, no, you guys are around my kids going, oh, yeah, that's no problem. It's very easy. Oh, you just don't remember what it's like to have three kids under five. So, all right. Well, hey, Dad, thank you so much for spending time with me today. And uh, everybody, yeah. I think I, I had fun. Added, but I'm happy to oh, it's, this is great. I think there's, I think. Look, there's somebody out here that needs to hear exactly this message right now. And that's it. If there's, if there's just one person that needs to hear this, then our time was well spent and that's it. Like it's going to move the needle for somebody. Somebody's in a position right now where they said, you know, I got nine direct reports or I got 10 or I got 15 or I'm trying, I got a company of 200 or, you know, I'm trying to structure something. So they're going to believe me, this is, this is some incredible content in here that people are going to really enjoy when they listen to it. And it might be just the right time for somebody to hear a message, whether it's in their personal life, whether it's in their uh, friendship, like some of their friends, their spiritual life, their business life, their money, whatever it is. Um, there's something here for, for everybody to take. So um, thanks for spending the time with me. I'm really excited to, we're going to see each other soon in Atlanta. We're going to go to a Georgia, Georgia tech football game. Cause right. uh, if you guys, if you guys didn't see the presentation at foot packing live, we, uh, we did live stream that first one. So hopefully you got to catch it. But um, I basically told the story about my dad and, and kind of me growing up and what it looked like and all of those things. So, um, you know, we went to Georgia tech together, both in the Navy. He got out of the Navy to have a better family life. I did the same thing after James. When I look back, it's just, it's just so obvious that my path was Parallels, yeah. that way for, for a reason, you know, and just the kind of influence that you had on me was so strong. And I just want to say thanks for, you know, obviously being a, a great, uh, a great American, a, a hero, uh, serving the country, a great father, a great grandfather. You, we had to schedule this in between his like multiple pickups for my brother's kids at daycare. So, uh, he's, he's shuttling kids around all over Tampa. If you have some kids that need a ride in Tampa, just reach out to us. We can get you on the, on the granddad bus. Um, 
So I had a good time. Thank you so much. And uh, for all of you guys listening, I'm really excited to continue to bring this leadership series, these people uh, to come on and talk a little bit about their journey and leadership and running companies and building teams, because I think really that's what it's about. We talk a lot about real estate and that's great, but it's really about building a team, building a business, letting something run, whether you want to be involved or you don't want to be involved, at least you have the option. So um, thanks for hanging out with me on the podcast. If you guys like what you hear, please share with a friend, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever and, uh, and share it. I'd love to get this kind of uh, stuff in front of some more people and let, let us help them in their uh, personal and professional lives. So, all right, I'll see you guys on the next one. Bye dad. Thanks for listening to the seven figure flipping podcast with Bill Allen. If you want to grow and scale your house flipping or wholesaling business, check out more insider tips and strategies from the nation's most successful real estate investors at sevenfigureflipping.com.